would actually like to do this morning is I'd like to continue in this series one more time before we move on to Philippians next week. I had planned on starting Philippians today, yesterday morning um, during Sabbath, uh, as I was reciting, um, I've been trying to uh, recite the story of God to, uh, to Junie every Sabbath. And I was reciting like the effects of the fall and there was something that was like stirring in me to where I just felt the spirit say, you're not teaching Philippians, you're teaching on this tomorrow. So um, with that, turn to Genesis chapter three and Philippians two. And I would like to continue our one another series by talking about how to be vulnerable with one another. Um, so I'll start by reading Philippians 2. The actual text today is actually just Philippians 2.5. That's it. But I'm going to read on from Philippians 2.5 just so you get some, some more and broader context. And then I'll, I'll pray and we'll get into it. Philippians 2.5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's our text, but it goes on. This is a poem. Who, speaking of Christ... Being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and, in, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for uh, bringing me back safely to this, this family. I pray today that we would be mutually encouraged. There is an old prayer that says, Lord, would you come and comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted? That is that if we're just so comfortable in our stuff that you would come and just stir us, afflict us in ways that agitate us to, to move forward, to move on if we're stuck. If we're really afflicted by life's burdens, would you comfort us today? And so as we look to Philippians 2 and Genesis 3, Lord, what we know not, may you teach us. What we have not, may you give us. What we are not, may you make us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So we're just a few weeks um, into this year-long exploration of what it means to live in authentic community. And as a part of that, we're in this series called One Another. You guys have been in this series called One Another. And the word one another is actually a single word in Greek, and it's used a hundred times in the New Testament. And most of the time it's used, it's used to describe how the Jesus community is to live out the truth of what Christ has done in us. See, Christianity is not a private religion. At its core, Christianity is a social religion, and it hinges on how we treat one another. Here are Jesus' words about this very idea. He says this, this is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. When they see the love that you have for one another, that you have for each other. He says the way the entire world is gonna know that you're my disciples, that you follow me, that I have actually validity to change lives is that how you treat each other, how you love each other. And the way the New Testament writers make sure that we do not lose sight 
of Jesus' words was by exhorting the church over and over again in what are called the one another's. So there are things like be at peace with one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens, speak the truth to one another, clothe yourself with humility towards one another, bear with one another and forgive each other, greet one another with a holy kiss. Someone, come on. Be hospitable. No, I was joking. Don't do that. Be hospitable. Be hospitable to one another. And the list goes on. Over 100 times that word is used. Typically, the writers will use Christ as our aim. Forgive each other as Christ has forgiven you. The writers do this all the time. They'll, they'll say, be like this to one another because that's how Christ was towards us. And one of the, one, these one another dynamics are the chief factor of believability to the world with respect to our faith. The lack of one anothering as the scriptures command will leave us unable to sustain a credible faith in our city. How will people know that Jesus is the truth? How will people know that Jesus is alive in us if we can't embody his life and teachings in our lived out day-to-day experience with one another? See, Jesus puts a ton, a lot on his community. I mean, he offers a lot of grace, but he endows us with a lot of responsibility. The lack of doing the one another's well as a community will impact the credibility of the gospel in our city. If we are not doing the one another's well, that will impact the credibility of what Jesus came to do in our city. And not only, not only that, the lack of one anothering will also impact us personally. If we have no one in our community that bears our burdens, that speaks the truth to us, that acts in humility toward us, if there's no one that seeks unity with us or will forgive us, that does not love us, that is not hospitable to us when we need it most, well, not only will our faith be completely powerless in San Francisco, but we ourselves will suffer under a lack of true intimacy and real connection. See, we have all been created in the image of God And God, who is three in one, a community in himself, we were created in God's image and therefore we were created to need, you were created to need vulnerable, transparent, and authentic connection with one another. You were created to need that. But here's the sad reality. The sad reality is in order to get there, in order to live in this authentic community with one another, it's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to require that we combat isolation and withdrawing. It will mean that we take up new patterns and new practices in order to break the cycle of what's been passed down to us from Eden. We actually have to live into new ways of, new ways of like, pat, new patterns of being, new, new, new habits of heart, new ways that we interact with each other. We actually have to learn these new patterns because the cycle that's been passed down to us from Eden is, is completely broken. For example, if you have a tendency to completely ghost people, you shall ghost no longer in Jesus' name. That's just the, that's, you have to learn. No, this is true. You have to grow up. You have to learn the responsibility of getting back at people. Like, you just have to learn that. If you control every relationship you get into so you can protect yourself, you have to open your life to vulnerability and humility. If you find it difficult to work with people of the opposite sex, 
because you're always making it sexual. Either in your mind or through your implicit biases, you have to start seeing and treating other people as your brothers and sisters in Christ. Or even if you have a hard time learning from the opposite sex, you have to deal with that. That is not how we behave in Jesus' community. We learn from every Christ follower. And yet, these kinds of things will take intentionality. It is way easier to go, well, you know what? I don't really like the way you're doing it here. I'm going to leave. You will in no way grow that way. It's, these kind of things take intention. It will take much intentionality to move in this direction. Because what's been passed down to us from Eden is in our bones. It's in our already established patterns of relating and interacting. Let me show you. Now, I've taught on this before in my leave in, in January. Um, Genesis 1 and 2 are about how God created everything in harmony and relationality. And how the, the real first problem in God's good creation was that man was alone and there was no one like him to relate with vulnerability and intimacy. And so God fixed that. And then you have Eve. So you have Adam and you have Eve, right? We, we talked about that. I don't have time to get into that in depth. The language the scriptures use to describe the vulnerable and intimate connection between the souls of Adam and Eve are they were naked and they felt no shame. Now, this isn't talking about sex in marriage. As far as we know, if the human project would have continued without the fall in Genesis 3, we would all have been naked and unashamed still. That is, we would all have lived with vulnerable, intimate connection. Now, what I don't have time to unpack this, and I've unpacked this elsewhere, is how there's a talking snake that shows up in God's good world to tempt Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. But if you recall, the, the snake that talks, the serpent, the way he tempts Adam and Eve is centered around relationship. And so the serpent shows up and says to Eve, relationally says to her, can you really trust this God? He goes right after their relationship, right after the trust. He erodes the trust that's built between God and Adam and Eve. Can you really trust this God who said you can't eat from that certain tree? I, I think the only reason why he said you can't eat from that tree is because he's keeping something from you. He knows you, that when you'll eat it, you'll see and you'll actually become like him. He's holding something back from you. He can't be trusted. He went after their relationship. And the serpent sowed doubt and distrust in their relationship, and so they eat. Eve eats and gives the fruit to her husband, who was with her. And look, let's go to Genesis 3 now. Look at verse 6 in Genesis chapter 3. Let me just read to you the effects of what happened. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate some of it, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together. And so they hid. And they made coverings for themselves to cover up. And when the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord who was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and this is, by the way, this is what the Lord did. He would show up and walk with Adam and Eve and they would walk together and be in the garden together. And when God was showing up for his like daily, like let's just be intimate and walk together, they heard him and, and they hid from him. What was that? They, they hid from God among the trees in the garden. And the Lord God called to the men and said, where, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. And God said, well, wait, who, who told you you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman. Do you remember that woman that you gave me? The one I didn't ask for, the one I just fell asleep one day and she was in my life. I didn't, I didn't do that. You remember that one that you gave me? Remember the one you put here with me? She gave me some fruit of the tree and I, and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the snake. What is a talking snake doing in the garden? The snake talked to me and deceived me and I ate. The first thing to be affected by the fall, the very first thing to be affected by the fall was the way humans relate. Very simply, our default modes of relating went from being naked and unashamed. That is, we at one time existed in vulnerable, intimate connection and we moved toward shame and blame. We went from there, from this intimate connection to hiding from each other and blaming each other. And the irony is in this whole story, their nakedness was once a symbol of their freedom and their self-expression and their mutual enjoyment suddenly became a symbol of their shame. And they hid from each other in shame. And they hid from God in fear. And they blamed each other for the mess they were in. So here's the deal. If you are here this morning and you are experiencing loneliness, loneliness in this really big city where you come in contact with hundreds of people, this is not thousands of people, but really don't know anyone. If you are experiencing loneliness because you just moved here and you're like, I don't know anyone, or you've lived here for a very, very long time and you think I should know people better than I do, and you are experiencing loneliness, I want you to hear something. You are not lonely because something is wrong with you. You are lonely because something is gloriously right with you. You were created for the kind of connection with other humans that is intimate, loving, and vulnerable. The kind of relationships that can only be described as we are naked and unashamed. And that is not sexual. Actually, the reason why we have to make things like naked and unashamed intimacy sexual is because we have lost categories for these kinds of relationships that are not sexual. We have lost the category of true friendship and community. We have lost the category of brother and sister. And so if you are living life in the city it, with anything less than these kinds of relationships, you're going to feel lonely. So if you're feeling lonely in here, that's why. It's because you were created for this kind of connection. But we are also a huge part of the problem because all of us are Adam and Eve. All of us have passed down to us from Eden this kind of way of relating all in, inside of our bones. We all hide from each other. Actually, hiding is the new default mode of relationships. Hiding is just the way you relate. You were taught from a very early age, passed down to you from Eden, that you hide in your relationships. When things get weird or awkward or hard, you hide. We all do this. This happens when in a CG, you get vulnerable and open yourself up in a community group and people don't respond the way you want them to respond, you start hiding. You just naturally do. You just start covering up. You're like, oh, I'm not gonna, I won't do that again. That's not gonna happen ever again. 
That's what happens when you're kind of interested in someone to date, but you don't want to rock the boat relationally so you don't pursue them. And instead, you actually start hiding from them and even the community you and, you and them are a part of. This is what happens when you want companionship in this church, but you can't seem to find it and you feel shame for even wanting it and frustrated at those who seem to, that seem to have it. So you hide by not vocalizing your desire for companionship. And you feel guilty because you think that God is supposed to be enough for you. That's what happens when in a marriage, you hide when you want to open up to your spouse about something you're afraid of or an anxiety you're carrying. And you want to let them deeper into your soul, but they don't pay attention the way you want them to pay attention the very first time. You can't get their undivided attention. And getting their undivided attention seems like way too much work for you in the moment, and so you hide. This hiding that happens in all kinds of things, the, why, the reason why we don't really greet each other in the parking lot walking into church, happens all the time, by the way. You're walking to people and you have some people that are just looking around like, I wanna say hi to someone, everyone else is going, I have to get to my seat, so-and-so saved it, and I can't, I can't be distracted by all these people right now. Um, even people that show up to church in certain ways. I had, um, if you remember, uh, Mark Sayers was here. Mark Sayers uh, is uh, the Australian friend of ours. He, he had one of his, his brother-in-law was here as well with him. Oh, not his brother-in-law, his actual brother, sorry. And he was here as well with them. And in, in Australia, we were talking about the way that we relate as Americans versus Australians. In, in, in Australia, because of, uh, I think, I mean, I don't really know history, so I'm just gonna make this up, right? Um, <laughs> They said something about the wars that they fought. They fought as male and females in all their wars. They have this sort of kinship with the opposite sex that's not sexual at all. It's just you're friends with them automatically. But in America, everything is sexual. And so Mark's brother at, on Saturday Night Church just walked up to some random gal and was like, just this is what they do in Australia. Hey, how are you doing? What's going on here? Are you new here? Whatever. Like just interacting with her as friends. She's like, I'm not here for that. I'm not, I'm not here to be hit on. I'm not here to, I'm here for God. That's what I'm here for. And like the friend that invited me, that's what I'm, I'm not here for the thing you're trying to do right now. And he's like, oh, I'm married, three kids. I'm not weird, but that's fine. I, I'm just not gonna do this. I forgot I'm in America. Like I can't, I can't talk to the opposite sex in America. This, the, I, but Australians have their own version of this as well. But we, we the, our default setting is to always hide. We're always hiding in relationships. And then what happens when we hide, we then start to blame. We blame our CG. We blame the dating community in San Francisco. We blame our spouse. We blame God. God, why did you make me this way? God, I didn't ask for this. That, by the way, that's literally what Adam said to God, by the way. The woman that you gave me I didn't ask for this. I was fine before. Like it was just you and me and it was great. I didn't ask for this. And because we blame, and that's not the answer, and because there's deep shame, dating someone new isn't a magic bullet. And marriage isn't the magic bullet. Some of you guys need to hear, I know you've heard me this, you're like, yeah, it's easy for you to say, you're married. Listen, marriage, the premarital class starts today, by the way, I don't know, a lot of you are in this class. You're going to learn this really quick. Marriage is not the magic bullet. 
A new church isn't the magic bullet. Actually, if you're visiting from another local church because you think this church is better, you're wrong. This church is not better. Go back home. Okay? <laughs> a new church is not the magic bullet. And a new city isn't the magic bullet. The only magic bullet, if there is a, I don't even know where that, that phrase comes from, but I think we all understand it. The only magic bullet there is, is the hard work of intimacy through vulnerability that is shown to us and demonstrated to us by Jesus on the cross. That is the only way forward. Jesus died on the cross like this. Arms completely open. Arms open to the entire world. This is the ultimate posture of vulnerability. If I walked up to you and just went like this, there's a series of things you can do to me. A, a lot. You could, you could punch me. You could stab, I don't know, stab me. That'd be harsh, but whatever. You could, this is a very vulnerable thing right here. You could like, you can like just slap my hand like, hey, what's up, man? Good to see you. Like, I don't want to give you a hug. That's weird. Like, that's a very vulnerable thing. I could be rejected like this. This is a very, this is how Jesus gave his life for the world. This is how Jesus demonstrated the love of God. Like this. This is how he paid the ransom for our sins. This is how he modeled the way we are to live in relationship with each other. This is how he did it. Like this. Completely vulnerable. And so in our text in Philippians 2, this is the centerpiece of our letter to the Philippians. It's actually called the Christ hymn. And for centuries, theologians have analyzed and extracted significant ideas and Christology from this text that we just read. But you know what? Paul did not write it to deal with issues of Christ's divinity and humanity. Paul didn't go, I'm going to write to the Philippians. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to tell them the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. He didn't write for that. Morna Hooker, in her commentary on the Philippians, says this. If we wish to attempt to understand the passage in its historical context... The, the beautiful Christ hymn that we just read, we need to remember that Paul wrote what he did here, not in order to deal with the issues of Christ's divinity and humanity that so exercised the church fathers in the fourth and fifth century. No, he, he wrote to spell out the way in which those who are in Christ ought to live. He wasn't trying to refute some people that were thinking wrong things about Jesus. He wasn't writing to, say, to prove that Jesus is both human and both divine. No, no, no. What he was doing was he was writing to say, this is how Christ lived and this is how we're to live. This is our model. This, we live in this Christ and therefore we live like this. We have this magnificent Christ hymn because Paul is showing us the kind of life his followers, those who are in Christ, should be living with each other. And so Paul says, in your relationships with one another. I think this gets missed because everyone goes into teaching the beauty of the text of the Christ poem. But the whole point of him saying that is this. In your relationships with one another. In your, okay. In your, the way that you relate to the person to your right, whether you know them or not, should be like this. The way you relate to the person who's right behind you even though you know them or not, should be like this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. This is how we are to relate to one another. This is so hard. If you look at this text and really meditate on this text, what it's telling us is that to love like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to be in 
Jesus and thus to be in Jesus and thus express the life of Jesus in our actions, we must open ourselves up to more and more vulnerability. We have to open up ourselves more and more to service to the other. We have to more and more let go of our rights. This is the way we have to love each other. We have to let go of our rights. We have to let go of our privileges. We have to show up in vulnerability with each other over and over and over again. And this is the mindset that we are to have when we show up in each other's life. This open, vulnerable service toward each other. And the way this sentence is structured in Greek, that's the like original language, it's written in a way that says that this kind of way of living or this kind of way of acting is the new default mode of those who are in Christ. See, there was an old default mode, and that's hiding in shame and in blame. But for those that are in Christ, your mindset now is this mindset. This is your new mindset. The way this reads in Greek is that if you're in Christ, this is your mind now. You are in Christ, you have this mindset. Live in, in this mindset. If you're in Christ, this is the new default mode setting on how you treat each other. This is how Christ has come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. This is how he gets back to where it all began, how we relate to each other. And this is how you and I are to relate to each other. We are to relate in this vulnerable, giving up our lives in service for the other. And to not do that, to not begin to take up this new mindset that Jesus gives us, is not just to shut yourself off to the only way of Jesus, but it's actually to shut your, your, yourself off to love itself. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Four Loves, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Your heart will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Some of you feel like you are in a relational hell right now. But I'm actually here to tell you it's not relational hell that you're in. If your heart is broken in a million pieces, if your life feels like you're living in so much relational pain, you're actually in a place where you're not safe from the dangers of love, and that's a good thing. Maybe you've been vulnerable with others in our community, and there is no reciprocity, and that pain is real pain. Let me invite you, and if I could, I would hold your hand into this, to walk you into deeper vulnerability. Allow me to invite you to go even deeper into that pain. What you're going to find as we study the book of Philippians is that Paul's entire life goal was to see Jesus' life and try to copy it, a carbon copy of Jesus' life. 
And so he even says at one point, I, wanna, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrections and fellowship of his sufferings. Every suffering that Jesus went through, I want to suffer like that too. Because I want to know, I, wanna, I want to look at Jesus and go, you too, me too, you too, me too. I felt the same way. I want, and because, because of that, because Jesus went through, through hell and back, he lived through and got to experience the resurrection. And I want to know that resurrection. And the only way I know that resurrection is to go through the sufferings like Jesus went through suffering. So if you find yourself in vulnerable pain right now because you've opened yourself up to people, this church, this city, and all of you experience this pain, you are becoming like Jesus. And what I would love to do is if I could, I would sit with you and I'd go, can we, what if Jesus called you to take a little step deeper? What if just open up a little, I know you want to, you want to like take your arms and kind of cover up part, no, no, op open it up again. I know you want to kind of flinch and just cat, catch that, that rib shot. Don't, just open up. And it's going to hurt, and it's going to even be more painful. But this is like your identification with Jesus. Brene Brown, who writes extensively on vulnerability, says it like this. She says, vulnerability is the emotion that we experience during times of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up when you can't control the outcome. Let me encourage you to go deeper into vulnerability where you can't control the outcome. You want your, you want your community to show up in a certain way and they're not. You can't control the outcome. Go deeper in. You want um, a relationship to end in a certain way, but you can't control the outcome. Go deeper in deeper into vulnerability, deeper into giving up your rights. There's part of you that wants to blame other people. There's part of you that wants to be like, like I need to like protect myself. Those are, we, we rush so quickly to self-preservation in our culture. So quickly when there's all kinds of imitations of Jesus to be, that are just left out there. Ways that we could become like him when we've opened our lives up vulnerably. Go deeper into vulnerability and don't give up. Don't give up on community. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your church. Don't give up on Christianity. Don't give up. The only thing I'll invite you to give up is your rights. This is exactly what Jesus did. Who had every right, was equal with God, but laid it aside, became a human. More than that, became a servant. More than that, became obedient to death. More than that, it was the most humiliating death anyone's ever died, death on a cross. He kept giving up his rights at every turn, kept giving up his rights. And that should both make us worship Jesus because he's so beautiful. And to go, that's the kind of life then that I live as a follower of Jesus. If I'm ever doing the reverse, if I'm ever moving myself up this thing and going, no, no, I, I want to preserve my life, not give up my life. I want to, I want to take, take life, not give life. That's the opposite way. That's not cruciform. That's, that's self-centered. This way, this cruciform life that keeps going down and down and down is the way of Jesus. The only thing I'll invite you to do is to give up your rights and give up the outcome. As Oscar Wilde once put it, everything is going to be fine in the end. If it's not fine, it's not the end. This is most true in Jesus. If it's not fine, if relational wholeness is not there, it's not the end. Keep going. Keep going in your vulnerable pursuit of authentic community. We need it. This world needs it. And this won't be, this won't be easy. Last night, 
Ash let me put in earplugs as I slept because I had to get a full night's sleep for today. And, um, and our dot baby girl sleeping amazingly, maybe wakes up once, twice to feed or whatever, but she let me kind of put in earplugs and sleep through the night. So I was, went to bed laying there with my earplugs in and I pulled out one earplug. I said, Ash, there was a, a season in our marriage where our marriage was so bad, it was so hard, it was so, um, it, was, it was relationally completely uh, broken that I remember consistently for a few months putting in earplugs and taking an Ambien just so I can ignore you, just so I can go to bed and not, not to, to mask the relational brokenness that was happening uh, in our marriage that kind of manifested itself through like two people being right next to each other, but being the worlds apart. I just could not, I just had to shut everything down and escape from it. And now I'm sitting here and I have earplugs in and I, and I want to take them out and I don't want to go to sleep and I want to be here. And that movement it was the, some of the hardest movement I ever made in my life. And it wasn't just marriage. It was just the way I related to people in general. That movement is so freaking hard. But there's two options. There's that movement that is hard and is, feels like a crucifixion and there's resurrection on the other side or you close yourself off and your heart becomes as cold as hell. For those of you who are in relational hell, it's those people in here that think that they're okay. They think everything is perfect in your lives. Who've, who've you, what you've done is you've actually sealed yourself off from being hurt by other people. And it's not that you're okay, it's just that you're numb. As C.S. Lewis puts it, you've locked your heart up in a coffin safe with your little hobbies and luxuries. And you've protected yourself. And the things that used to hurt you don't hurt you anymore. Even when you hear news about people, you don't care anymore. And you're like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't, I'm not hurt anymore. I don't feel. And you, because you've, it's like you've, you have no vacane of the, of the heart. You've like completely, it's, it's numb. And that's no way to live. That eventually turns into hell. That eventually turns in a way where you're so numb that you can't hear God anymore and you can't experience his love anymore. And I want to invite you into a new way. A way of vulnerability to open your life, to love again, and to possibly, very possibly lose again. To open your hands to the world again and say, this is the way that Jesus lived. This is the way that I will live. To live that radically unprotected life that is cruciform in shape. To have the same, in our relationships, the same mindset and the same physical posture of our Lord Jesus. To go into this year and think, this is not this year that we're doing as a church in the authentic community is not going to be easy, and I'm probably going to feel more pain as we go into it. That is all a part of it. But to say, this is the way of Jesus. And if Jesus, if we can experience a death like Jesus, then we will experience a resurrection like Jesus. And if it's not right yet, it will be. It's not the end then. It will be soon. Jesus will make it, make these things all right. Would you stand with me as we pray?